You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. You can open up your Bible to the book of John, chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today, in the middle part of that chapter of the Bible. But before uh, we start reading that, and I share from that passage, and we'll have the sermon be a bit shorter this morning, uh, for the sake of the younger kids among us and parents uh, seeking to engage with them. Um, But I wanted to share before we read this text about another um, baptism that uh, would have happened today. and I, I will try not to cry as I share this. Um, but there's a lady in our community uh, named Patty Bowser. And uh, she is a lady. She's a sister of Kevin Jones, who I think he's in here somewhere. Um, but uh, he's a member of our church that many of you know. And I've got the privilege to know her the last few months. She was diagnosed with cancer many months ago. And uh, in the process of that and facing mortality and, and having uh, the prospect of death looming in her life, uh, Kevin and many others that know the Lord started sharing the gospel with her and started telling her about Christ. And, and she had heard that before, but telling her again the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness that she could have even late in life, as full as we have who gain it and, and turn to him when we're younger. And God worked in her heart in recent months and gave her faith. And I got to speak with her, and some of you did as well, uh, to hear her testimony of faith. Her condition was worsening, and uh, she was barely even able to get out of bed and uh, certainly couldn't be baptized due to medical reasons in the manner that we normally would uh, with immersing. And even being here would have been a challenge uh, today for her. So last Sunday after church, myself and many others uh, gathered in her front yard uh, and did an improvised baptism of sorts for her, uh, which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life to see the joy on her face Um, and Part of why I'm crying when I say it is that on Thursday night, she died. Like and at Around midnight, Thursday into Friday, she passed away to meet her Savior face to face. And it was a joy to get to hear her testimony and her trust in the Lord, even as she faced death. And uh, she would have been baptized today if she was able to and if she was still alive and well on the earth. So I wanted to pass it along with you as a testimony uh, to God's power to save anyone at any time. Uh, that day, as long as we have breath in our lungs and life in our bodies, uh, we have an ability to come to him in faith. And he offers that to us, whether we're young or old, and would, would commend to us to be active in taking the gospel to those who don't know him uh, because he does work in people's hearts. And so be praying for her family and for Kevin. Kevin and Dee Dee and their family as they have a funeral this week and celebrate her life. But I want to share that with you uh, before, and the spirit of a baptism Sunday before we open this text. But uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 20 to 36 today. Uh, we're in the middle of this chapter. And as I was thinking about this passage, uh, the, the weather is conveniently changing, and it was showing me something about this text and bringing something to life for me. If, if talking with many people this week, I'm realizing that many of us, our favorite season is fall. Uh, as I've had a lot of conversations with people, there might be different reasons that we like fall, maybe football or uh, bonfires or apple cider or various things like that. But the one thing that, in talking with many people, and that rings true in my heart of a reason I love fall, and I'm really looking forward to these next several weeks weather-wise, is what takes place with trees, uh, the leaves that are on the trees. And not every tree is like this, but that, that strength and vitality that's been there through the spring and the summer of those green uh, leaves on the trees that 
as those leaves near death, as they come towards winter, that's when their glory shows the most. Uh, when they start turning these shades of yellow and orange and bright red or a gold color, it's as they are in the process of dying that their glory is most seen. And I, I mention that because we're going to see in this text today, Jesus is going to be talking about his death that is just a couple of days away. As close as Patty's baptism and death were, this, it's even closer now in time when Jesus is speaking and what we're about to read and when he actually dies on the cross. And he's going to be talking about his death. And he's going to use two images to talk about his death that's just a couple of days away. And one is going to be of him being planted like a seed in the ground uh, to bring life. And one's going to be about him being lifted up on the cross. So almost opposite images. But with both of them, we're going to see that he anticipates dying. He knows that it is in his dying that his glory is going to be seen the most. That it's been seen over and over and over again as he's walked on water. And as he's healed a man who is paralyzed. And as he's fed 15, 20,000 people with just a few uh, materials of fish and bread. We've seen his glory over and over, but Jesus knows, and we're going to see today, that as he came to die, as he came to die upon the cross, that's when his glory was going to become even more pronounced, was in the process of dying. And so I would invite you to join me in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. We'll divide this into two sections. The first will be verses 20 to 26. And the other will be 27 down to 36. And uh, if, you, if you've not been with us, real quick, where we are in the story of Jesus. Like I said, this is just a couple of days before Jesus is going to be raised up on that cross and die. And then eventually be raised a few days after that from the dead. We don't know exactly which day of that week it was. Last Sunday, Pastor Larry showed us from earlier in John 12 how Jesus had ridden on uh, a donkey into Jerusalem and uh, had, had come with all these accolades and almost like a parade coming into the city. But we know things are turning very quickly. As some trees change quickly and drop their leaves, Jesus, people are going to turn on him quickly and he's going to come to death quickly. And we don't know which day of the week this is, but it's in that week of time uh, that Jesus is going to say these things. And so I would invite you to follow along with me in this first section. We'll read, pause, share a few thoughts, and then we'll read that second section and do the same before we conclude. But this is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The, the Apostle John wrote this, recorded this for us. Verse 20, he says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that's him talking about himself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever, loses his, or whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
few comments here, but you very clearly see that Jesus is talking about the time coming for him to be glorified. That's his language there in verse 23, that the time is coming near for his glory to be shown in its fullest. Um, But what prompts this conversation, if you notice those first couple verses, is that there are some Greeks who come and they talk to Philip first, and then Philip and Andrew, two disciples of Jesus, kind of pull together and come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks who want to see you. They want to talk to you. And that's what prompts Jesus to say that the hour has come for me to be glorified. And that seems kind of like a throwaway detail, but this is significant if you think about what's going on. This is during the Passover. This is the Jews, their, their biggest festival, uh, that there would have been thousands upon thousands of people coming to Jerusalem. And that's when this is taking place. So there's thousands and thousands of God's people, the Jews there. And the ones that are coming to ask to see Jesus are not Jews. They're Greeks, that they're people, foreigners in their culture, people who wouldn't have grown up knowing God and Yahweh, knowing about the Messiah necessarily, but they want to see Jesus. They want to talk to him and engage with him. And that, it's like that triggers something in Jesus' mind, like in the midst of all my fellow Jews, the ones who just praised me as I wrote in on Sunday, in the midst of all of them, the ones who are actually coming to talk to me and want to learn from me and listen to me are not even my fellow Jews. And it's like he knows that God is about to do something. It's like this little like uh, tremors that are about to show this big earthquake of God's work that's going to take place just a few days later because Jesus is starting to see even Greeks are coming to hear me and to meet me and to want to know me. And Jesus in- introduces this idea of his glory and how the glor- his glory as the Son of Man, he calls himself, is about to be shown in ways it never has been, even in all his years of life and of ministry. But notice that when he's talking about the time coming for his glory to be put on display, he instantly turns in verse 24 and talks about death. He's saying the time has come for me to be glorified. And then he uses this idea of a grain, a seed of grain falling into the ground and dying, so to speak, going into the ground. That's where his mind goes when he's talking about his glory being shown as to his death. And he uses this illustration. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I, I joke often from here and with many of you in private, I am not a green thumb. I am not a farmer. I am not anything like that. But even kids among us, you know as much as me in a very simple way that for a seed to work, it has to be put in the ground, Right? If you just leave a seed in a bag or on a shelf, it is going to do nothing. It's going to stay by itself, Jesus says. But whether it happens naturally and maybe an apple falls down and its seeds go into the ground, or whether somebody does it purposely and plants a seed into the ground, that seed has to, in a sense, die and be buried before it's going to do any good, really, right? Before there's going to be life that comes from it, comes through it in this miraculous way. And Jesus is saying that's what's going to happen with him. That the way his glory is going to grow and that that God's kingdom is going to grow is not by him living and just thriving and and never suffering, but it's going to come by him like a seed dying and being put in the ground, so to speak. Him suffering, being put to death. And he's saying, when I die, that's when God's going to start this work. But he's going to start to bear fruit. He's going to do miraculous things because I die, after I die. That's when uh, he's going to do this work. 
And so his, this is the, you see Jesus quickly, though, turn to apply this to his disciples and apply it even to us. Because he's describing this grain falling into the ground and dying and that being the pathway to life, like how life is actually going to come. But Jesus applies this to everybody. He, he doesn't just let it apply to himself, although that's what he's talking about first, saying he has to die and then God will give life to people. But he turns in verses 25 and 26 and talks about others. And like this is a broader principle in life. He says that whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he says that if anyone would serve him, they must follow him. And so we are called, if Jesus is this example to us of laying down his life, of of dying so that others may have life, he says that we need to follow suit. Like that's going to be the pathway to fruitfulness for us, is if we're willing to put our old sinful self to death over and over and over again, to put our selfishness to death. And when he says that we need to hate our life, I was thinking about this. When I was a kid, I know no kids in here would do this, but I used to, like, fold my arms. And when I got a little bit older in elementary school or middle school, I'd say, I hate my life. Did any of you ever say that? True confession? Anybody out here say that? No? No? Okay. All right. An honest person in the front row. All right. So I used to say stuff like that. And we may hear sometimes people say that when they're just frustrated. That is not, that goes without saying, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. That we just need to hate our life and just think it's terrible and awful. When he says that we need to hate our life, he, he's making it the opposite of loving our life, right? Did you see that? That, there's some, that the way we typically live in life is that we love ourselves, that we love getting uh, acknowledged, we love getting celebrated and praised and stuff given to us and people taking care of us. And Jesus says that we need to live in the opposite way, that we need to be willing to put ourselves in a sense to death, to say, you know what, if nobody takes care of me, if nobody praises me, if I get no thanks, if I get no attention or reward from this, I'm going to continue to put myself down below others to serve them. I'm going to give my life, give my time, give my money, use my gifts to benefit other people. And Jesus says that is the pathway to fruitfulness. It's not just to try to have the spotlight on you, but to put yourself to death, so to speak, over and over and over again with your spouse, with your siblings, with your classmates, be willing to give of yourself and give of your time to serve other people. And that is the pathway to honor. That is, he says, the Father will honor those who follow Jesus' example that way. None of us are capable of following Jesus in the sense of dying on the cross for other people's sins. You cannot follow Jesus that way. But you can follow, and you're called by him to follow him in laying down your life over and over in daily small ways or significant ways to serve other people. So that's the first image that Jesus uses, is this idea of him being like a seed that is falling, that is planted down into the ground, and then soon thereafter, God is going to use that very death, that very sacrifice of himself to burst forth in life in ways that far surpass just that one life, that he's going to bring this miraculous work to the front. And so what we see in this next section, this last section of what we're going to read, if in the first one we saw Jesus falling down as a seed. Now he's going to talk about himself, and we're going to see this glory language much clearer. He's going to talk about himself being lifted up as a Savior. So he's falling down as a seed, but now he's going to talk about himself as being lifted up as a Savior, and the glory that's going to come as he's lifted up 
on that cross just a few days later. So follow along with me, verses 27 to 36. So Jesus is continuing to speak here. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And he imagines this prayer that he could pray. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And this is amazing. Kids, listen to this, what happened. It says that when Jesus said, Father, glorify your name, John was there probably and says, Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And here's this language. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So in this part of the story, we see that, that Jesus, as we anticipated, talks about himself being lifted up from the earth. That's what he said in verse uh, 32, that he was going to be lifted up from the earth. Uh, and he, he knew, and John records it, lest there be any confusion, that that was talking about the kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, when Jesus talks about, I'm going to be lifted up, John says he already knew, and he was trying to prep people how he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up upon cross. And we could be tempted if we just read that first section where we read to think, well, Jesus knows, hey, when I die, there's going to be this abundant life that comes to people. People are going to be saved and forgiven, and there's going to be all this power that the Spirit unleashes on people. And we could imagine Jesus kind of being, like, giddy about this, like, let's just get to that. Let's, let's get to, to that time where the Spirit works, and people start believing me, and these Greeks are just going to come more in abundance, and eventually Americans are going to come to me. Like, it could, we could get this idea Jesus was just eager to get to that fruit. But verse 27, I appreciate because John records for us as someone who was there that Jesus himself said, now is my soul troubled. Think about that. This is the Son of God, and this is troubling his soul as he's anticipating the cross, as he's anticipating being lifted up to die. And he's troubled at this prospect, and he imagines this temptation, this, this prayer that to say, Father, save me from this hour. Like, I, I don't want to go to the cross. That's what could run through his mind and heart. But there's a few reasons we see in here that he is committed to it. He's committed to go to the cross because he knows his glory is going to be shown like it never has before. One reason we see that he was committed to in verse 27 is because he knew that's why he was sent into the world. 
He says, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, that's why the Father sent me here was to culminate in this. This is what all my life has been bending towards, is this death and me being lifted up. He knew uh, that, secondly, that he knew that this would glorify the Father's name. Did you catch that? If in the beginning he said in verse 23 that now the time has come for me to be glorified, in verse 28, he's saying, Father, your name be glorified. And so it's this selflessness, him knowing that when he's lifted up on the cross, when he dies, that God the Father's glory is going to be shown too. That his love, his compassion for people like us is going to be shown in his willingness to put his son to death. And so he knows that, that God the Father's glory is going to be shown in certain ways that it wasn't beforehand when he goes to the cross. The third reason you see in here that he was committed to go to the cross is that he knew, you can see it in verse 31, that the ruler of this world would be cast out when he died. He knew that Satan, humanity's enemy from the beginning, has in a sense authority over all humanity before this moment. That that death reigned, that sin reigned, and Jesus knew when he would be lifted up on the cross that that reign of Satan would end. Like that he would, that sins would be forgiven, sins would be dealt with on the cross, and that Satan's power would be shown to be nothing over God's people. That he would be exposed as the weak angel that he is in comparison to the Son of God. And we can sing songs like victorious because Satan, when Jesus was lifted up, Satan was cast out. That, that God's love was put on display for his people and his power and willingness to forgive sin. And lastly, Jesus was committed to go to this glorious, oddly glorious death because he knew in verse 32 that when he was lifted up on the cross, that he says he would draw all people to himself. He knew that, that, remember, the Greeks were the ones who came to him and prompted this whole discussion. Jesus knows when he's lifted up on the cross that the sins of all kinds of people from all ages were going to be dealt with. And, and that this would not just be for the Jewish people, but it would be people of all nations, people of all times, all ethnicities, all religious backgrounds who would hear of him and come to faith in him, that he was going to become like this magnet. He says, I will draw all people, all people from all groups and all times to myself. But it is when I am lifted up. Like that was the pathway towards becoming that magnet who would draw people to himself. And Jesus knew that the glory of him and of the Father would be seen most clearly at the cross. He knew that when he was lifted up, that things would be put on display that hadn't been as fully before. Things like God's justice. Like part of why Jesus had to die and be lifted up was because we have sinned countless times against a holy God. And our sins have to be dealt with if we're to be forgiven. And when Jesus was lifted up on that cross, God the Father punished him in our place for our sins. And God showed himself to be fair and just as he did so. But you also see God's, God the Father's mercy. His, we're going to sing about that in just a few minutes, that our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And you see that at the cross when Jesus is lifted up, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die, and he was willing to put him to death. And God's mercy is on display as the Son of God hung there upon the cross. See his compassion. We see 
Jesus' selflessness that I cannot even comprehend that the one who had all angels at his disposal and who had done nothing wrong like was willing to take my sins and yours upon himself and to passively suffer the judgment of God so that we might be forgiven. What restraint, supernatural restraint to allow himself to be put to death in our place. And the glory of God had been seen in Jesus healing people and him doing these miracles and turning water to wine and in his teaching that God's glory had been shown over and over and over again. Remember that voice from heaven said, I have glorified my name. Jesus had been doing glorious things. But that that voice from heaven said, and I will glorify it again. And that was going to happen when Jesus was lifted up, that his glory was going to be shown in ways that far surpassed even how it had been before. At the end of this text, there's kind of this mysterious response of Jesus. We'll get to unpack a little bit more next week. But when they they hear about Jesus saying he's going to be lifted up, they're confused and say, how can that be? Like we've read in the Bible, we've read in the law that the Messiah will stay forever. Like how can you say that you're going to die? And Jesus gives this kind of cryptic response about him being the light and how he'll be around with them a little bit longer. And he calls them to believe. And to walk in the light. And we'll unpack that more next week. But then it says, when he said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. It's almost as if when Jesus is getting closer to the cross, he sees more and more unbelief. He sees more and more people rejecting him, being confused by him, turning away from him. But Jesus knows that his death is coming. And he knows that as he is lifted up in that death, that is when he will begin to draw all people to himself. It is when he dies that the Spirit was going to start to unleash this work on people's hearts and start teaching them who Jesus really was and the depth of his love and his sacrifice for them. And so Jesus, even as he's seeing unbelief around him, he is still calling people to come to him as the light and saying, come and, and, and I will receive you. Come and believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And I want to extend that in closing to each of us today, that if you have never come in faith in Jesus, if you've never come turning from your sins, acknowledging them, saying, I am a sinner, I have walked in darkness, I am grateful that you took that sin upon yourself, Jesus, and I trust you. I am grateful that you died on the cross for me. I put my trust in you that you can bring me forgiveness, that you can bring me eternal life. I would invite you to that today. Jesus would invite you to himself today to come to him as the light of the world who has lifted up for you on the cross, who has laid down in the grave for you in death so that you might have life, and he will be glad to receive you much more that I could say, and I'll say next week. But I read a poem this week by Robert Frost called Nothing Gold Can Stay. And uh, he was talking about nature and fall in particular and how even in the beauty of our world and the, the golden colors that come in the fall, he was reminding us that nothing golden stays, that death is coming. And we see that in the life of Jesus, even as his glory was shown in ways it never had as he went to the cross. He was laid in a tomb. But this thing that Robert Frost thinks is true, that nothing golden stays and leaves just crumble down into the ground and get covered by snow and go into the dirt, that was not true of Jesus. His glory was shown most fully when he died upon the cross for our sins. And God had him lay in a tomb, but just for a few days, and didn't decay. And God raised him back to life, never to die again. 
And now he has glory that even far surpasses that on the cross. And he invites us to come to him.